0: in worship this morning. Good morning, friends. A delight to see you all. I want to welcome those of you watching online, whether you're watching from newlife.nyc, Facebook, or YouTube. Uh, If you're watching for the first time, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor of New Life Fellowship Church here in Queens, New York City, and it is a joy to have you with us and a joy to see you in the house of God this morning. Before we get into our text, which is our final sermon in the book of Romans chapter 8, I wanted to Uh, say again what I mentioned last week about our elder search that we do every a few years or so Uh, our elders at New Life have uh, six-year term limits and we have been blessed over the past 34 years as a congregation to have incredible elders men and women who have shepherded and stewarded and helped to discern God's will about the direction of our congregation for over three decades and we're at a point now where because we have six-year term limits, we are going to look to receive a few more uh, elders to our, our board. And so uh, we typically invite you as the congregation uh, to participate in this by nominating people in our congregation that you think... Uh, have the wisdom, have the character, have the integrity to serve as uh, strong elders in our community. So if you would uh, send those nominations, it's reviewed by a committee, and then we have interview processes and all that that there. But if you can send your submissions to elders at newlife.nyc, Uh, That would be uh, really wonderful. In addition to that, just some uh, information that I wanted to share with you. We had a a transition of our board chair a couple of months ago where Steve Lee, uh, many of you know Steve, served incredibly faithfully in in that board chair capacity, and Steve stepped down a couple of months. And so we thank God for Steve's service and the amazing leadership that he offered. (laughs) Amen. And... We have an interim board chair in Susan Chung, and Susan will be the board chair through the end of the year. Many of you know Susan, but Susan has done a remarkable job. I thought I saw Susan in here today. Is she? Is she there she is, right there. Uh, so grateful for Susan and her leadership and her non anxious presence and just the, the strength that she brings to. Our board. So you can serve us uh, by sending those nominations uh, as soon as you can so that we can move forward with that process. Now, before I get into our text, I wanted to give some talking points about uh, where we are in terms of our gathering and some adjustments that you can expect. We sent a survey. Uh, last week or so to get your input as a congregation. Some people have said, why are you sending a survey again? Why are you sending a survey again? I already did that survey. Now, what we're trying to do is make this a community-informed thing here. We just don't want to make decisions without knowing where our community is at in certain areas, and so that's why we have sent multiple surveys, because we want to hear from you, and you have responded uh, to those surveys. And what we've learned through those the feedback is that the vast majority of... Of our congregation wants to gather and worship and want to be together and worship which is a really wonderful thing and so we wanted to uh, I wanted to uh, let you know of just some things that you can expect Uh, in the coming weeks and in the coming months. First, I want to say that every person is invited to come to church. Children, adults, no matter what your age, you are invited to worship with us. Additionally, uh, on July 11th, the plan is to open up pre-K on July 11th. So just attention parents with young kids. That's what we are looking at at this point also want to remind you that, and you'll notice in the room today, that as we continue to move on week in and week out, that there's, there's not going to be a lot of space just in the sanctuary, and just want you to uh, just be mindful of that as you make a decision uh, to come in. We're going to continue to offer uh, registration, so that'll be continued for the time being, uh, and we're making it simpler, and we're going to be keeping open until Saturday night, and so in the past it was closed, close at uh, Wednesday. We're keeping it open to Saturday night. So if the Lord speaks to you on Saturday morning, says, go to church. And you go, I want to go to church tomorrow. You have an opportunity to do that. Uh, a couple more things here. Starting next week, masks will be optional in the sanctuary here. So just uh, I, I, in the world that we live in, that, that leads to claps and from one side and booze from the other. Uh, it is what it is, uh, and so uh, many of you will want to continue wearing masks, and that's all good. Uh, we, uh, you know, as, at New Life, we've taken a very conservative, we've taken a very thoughtful, prudent uh, approach to this entire pandemic, and we recognize that some folks just want to keep wearing masks for the sake of wearing masks, and we encourage you to do that if that's what you want to do, but starting next week, uh, masks will be optional. Uh, and then the last thing I'd say is this year before we go into Romans 8, and I give my next sermon here, uh, is, is that we have been, again, thoughtful about this whole thing. And all of this that I mentioned, depending on what's happening in our city, we've never been here before. And so if there are changes, we will make adjustments. And if we have to go back to what we've done before, we will go back to what we've done before. And so we want to be wise. We want to be prudent. We want to be sensitive. We want to be uh, responsible human beings as we serve our city as well. Amen. All right. Done with that first sermon. Let's go into the second sermon here. Romans chapter eight. We're closing our series beginning in verse 35. Romans chapter eight, verse 35. Hear the word of the Lord. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul begins with no condemnation, Romans 8, 1. And ends with no separation. No condemnation. No separation. Let's pray. Let's invite the Holy Spirit to open our eyes and ears as we look into this passage. Lord, breathe on us now through the power of your Spirit. And may we walk out of this gathering and out of this online experience knowing that there is no separation. Nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray these things In Christ's name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. There's a story that's told by a well-known preaching professor named Tom Long. One day he was attending a confirmation Sunday service at a friend's church. And as he was observing the service, he noticed something really powerful that took place. Confirmation in some church traditions is a way of responding to baptism. And so in some church traditions, a child gets baptized, and then in confirmation, it's, it's the child or the teenager's way of responding to God's grace that has already come their way. It's a way of them being active in the life of the community, and the confirmation process often includes some preparation. In some confirmation church, churches doing this, uh, sometimes the students prepare or the students who are getting confirmed or the, you know, the teenagers getting confirmed respond by memorizing a creed of the church. Or sometimes they, they share their, what they've learned about church history. But in this particular confirmation service, the kids who were about to be confirmed were about to memorize and share the passage of scripture that they memorized out of Romans chapter 8. And so the teacher had them all line up in the front of the church, and they would take turns sharing what they had learned. And the passage of scripture that they would learn to memorize and share before the congregation was the passage that I just read. And so starting with the first kid in line, the teacher said, Joey, can anything separate you from the love of God? Joey responded, through memory, I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And Joey a smiled, and his parents beamed, and the congregation clapped, and went on to the next person, Katie. Katie! Can anything separate you from the love of Christ? And Katie from memory said, I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation shall be able to separate me from the love of God. That is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And one person after next, these teenagers would memorize this passage of Scripture. But as they got towards the end of the line, the congregation began to get a little uh, angsty and, and anxious. Because the last kid at the line had Down syndrome, a beautiful child. And the congregation is wondering, I wonder what this person is going to say. Will they be able to share the entire thing? And they got to Rachel. Rachel, can anything separate you from the love of God? And with an easy smile and a warm spirit, Rachel simply said one word. Nothing. Nothing. And she smiled and her parents beamed and the congregation clapped. And in that one word, it it encapsulated everything that those other teenagers have said, nothing. When I think about this story and I think about this passage that I just read, I can't help but to think about the prophet Marvin Gaye. Who in 1967, Wrote a song called, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. And he said, Ain't no mountain high enough. Ain't no valley low enough. Ain't no river wide enough to keep me from getting to you, baby. <laughs> when I heard about the story of Rachel, when I... Listen to the music of Marvin Gaye when I read Romans chapter 8. I am amazed by the love of God. Many of us believe a few things about God. For some of us, we believe that God is way out in the distance, that God is way out there. And so we wonder sometimes if God sees us. We wonder sometimes if God is active in our lives. We pray and we wonder, do my prayers reach up to heaven? We believe that God is very far. But then for some of us, we believe that God is very near, that God is near, but God is omnipresent, that God is closer to us than we are to ourselves. But in God's nearness, we often wonder if the nearness means goodness. God is near, but does that mean that that's good news for us? And for some of us, we know what it's like to be near someone, but it is not good. For some of us, we experience this over the course of the pandemic, We were for 15, 16 months. We were near each other like we never have been before. And it wasn't always good. Nearness doesn't always mean goodness. Very seriously and tragically over the course of the pandemic, we saw spikes in domestic violence. Because people were around each other so much, and and the level of tension and the level of abuse was just, again, revealed in a very painful way. Sometimes, for many of us, nearness doesn't mean goodness. And we often hold that way of thinking as it pertains to God as well. For some of us, we know that God is near. But for, for some of us, it doesn't necessarily mean that that news is good. Because we project onto God certain images that we think about God. And so, yes, God is close to us, but he's close in that he's looking to catch me in sin. Or God is close to us, yes, but God is looking to judge me for any kind of mistake that I make. But what if God is close in a different kind of way? What if God's nearness is actually God's goodness? This is what we see in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is, in verse 31 on, he is kind of getting to the crescendo, getting to the climax of this chapter. And verse 31 he asked the question that we talked about last week what shall we say to all of these things in light of everything that paul has written before romans 8:31 the 5000 words that he wrote from chapter 1 to chapter 8 the 200 to 2500 words that he wrote from chapter 5 through chapter 8 paul summarizes all of those things in 10 words what we heard last week if god before us Who can be against us? He summarizes the Christian life in those 10 words. If God is for us, who can be against us? But now Paul shifts and asks another profound question Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? It's the fifth in a series of questions that Paul lists in this particular section. The other questions were, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And in Paul asking this question, he's beginning to look around as it were. To identify the particular forces that exist in our world. And he asks this question with profound confidence, like a victorious fighter waiting to take on anyone else. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? And so Paul, before he moves on, he begins to list seven possibilities. And he does it in a way as if to boast about God. He begins to list seven powerful forces that often can feel like they separate us from God's love. So he asks, shall trouble, shall hardship, shall persecution, shall, shall famine, nakedness, danger, sword? He asks all of these things. And the question is, why does Paul list these forces as possible things that can separate us from the love of God? I think the reason why Paul lists this is because in our culture, there are things that often, to us and to the surrounding world, communicate God's absence. For some of us, we think, if I'm going through that, that means God must not be near. This is what we saw in the book of Job throughout the course of Lent. If this, is, if this bad thing is happening to me, that must mean God is not near me. Or God is not for me. But what Paul says is, no, these things don't demonstrate the lack of love of God. The theological message that plays in our mind is, if these things happen, God's love must be questioned. But, but Paul says, no, 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 not at all. Since Christ proved his love through his sufferings, our sufferings cannot separate us from his love. And so he, he, he's building his argument And as he builds, he gets to a particular place where he lists what has become one of the most popular Bible verses in all of the Bible. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. It's not in all these things we are separated from the love of God. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors Through him who loved us in the trouble, in the hardship, in the persecution, in the famine, in the nakedness, in the danger, in the sword, in all of these things, God's love is sustaining us. Therefore, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And some of us need to hear that today. Some of you came into church weighed down. Down by troubles, and maybe you've concluded that God has turned his back on you. Some of you are enduring much hardship watching online, and with sickness and family illness and economic struggle, you wonder Has God abandoned me? Some of you have been on the receiving end of harmful acts and harmful words, and you conclude, If these things are against me, that must mean God is not for me. But that's not what Paul says. He says in all of these things, in all of the troubles, somehow, someway, we are still more than conquerors through him who loved us. And you might not be able to see it, and you might not be able to hear it, and you might not be able to feel it, but God is at work right now in your life. And through his love, you will overcome. Through his love, you will not be conquered by despair. Through his love... You will not be overtaken by the world, and I need to hear this on a regular basis, because when I'm in a bad situation, I don't feel carried. When I'm in a bad situation, I don't always feel the presence of God, but this is why we need brothers and sisters on the journey to remind us that though you cannot see it, God is carrying you. Though you cannot see it, God is with you. And it is often in retrospect that we see God's presence. It's often in looking backwards that we see that God has been there. This is why Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish philosopher, has said that life is lived forward, but understood backwards. You don't understand everything that you're going through right now, but if you look back, you will begin to trace the hand of God's faithfulness in your life. So we need one another. I need people to remind me of God's nearness. And then I need to remind you of God's nearness. We need to remind each other over and over again because in the moment, we always don't feel it. And so Paul's words to us are, though you cannot see it, though you cannot feel it, God's love is with you. God's love will sustain you. God's love will carry you. Notice what Paul says. Because of his love, we are more than conquerors. He does not say we are more than conquerors through our willpower. He does not say we are more than conquerors through our good prayers. He does not say we are more than conquerors through our Bible knowledge. No, we are more than conquerors through his love. I came across an interesting perspective on this passage this this week, that in ancient times, there was a word that they would use for someone who had mastered their spirit, someone who understood how to operate with self-control. The person who was able to master their spirit and operate in self-control in ancient times was known as a conqueror, someone who had mastered themselves through self-sufficiency. Was deemed as a conqueror. The Roman philosopher Seneca, who was alive around the time that Paul wrote, wrote these words When will it be our privilege to utter the words, I have conquered? Do you ask me whom I have conquered? Not external enemies. And he begins to talk about the internal enemies that we are to conquer. And when we have done all of these things, we will be regarded as a conqueror. And so for Seneca to be a conqueror meant that I was self-sufficient. To be a conqueror meant that I am self-reliant. To be a conqueror meant that no circumstance can disturb me. Then you are a conqueror. Then you have trained your spirit not to be upset by the creation craziness of the world but what happens when you are not self-sufficient what happens when you can't conquer your dark side what happens when you still struggle with sin one day your self-sufficiency is going to run out one day your strength is going to greatly diminish One day, you're not going to be successful as you are today. One day, you won't be able to rely on yourself. And this is why Paul's language is important, because a conqueror is someone who is self-sufficient, but Paul doesn't call us a conqueror. He says we are more than conquerors. Why is that significant? Because if you're more than a conqueror, there's another power at work inside of you, a power outside of you, a power that comes from God. And Paul doesn't want us to just be conquerors. He's calling us to be more than conquerors. And how are we be more than conquerors? Through Him who loved us. To be a more than a conqueror does not mean that we will go without hardship. But it means that the love of God will always sustain us on the journey. And we are more than conquerors. It's not about our willpower. It's about God's love. And so Paul says we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And Paul is about to wrap up this portion of Romans chapter 8. He's getting to the crescendo. He's getting to the climax to sum up everything that he's talked about in these 39 verses in powerful theology. And he begins the next portion by saying, and so I am convinced. I am convinced. And that word convinced, it's in the present tense meaning, which means I have become convinced and I remain convinced. that nothing has changed. And he begins to show off. He begins to think about the love of God. And then he begins to think about all kinds of forces in the universe. Paul begins to look around with a sense of confidence. He looks up, he looks down, he looks left, and he looks right. Looking for something that can put a barrier between us and the love of God. And he begins to choose ten different forces in the world. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor things present nor future nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. When Paul gives these ten items, these ten forces, he's not looking to give a, a substantial commentary on all these things. It's a rhetorical device to say nothing, nothing in the world, nothing in the universe nothing before us, nothing behind us can separate us from the love of God and in light of all of this truth in light of all of this grace in light of all of these words I want to leave you with three things to hold on to three important things that you should put on your refrigerator put on your desk in your cubicle put in your, in your, in your, in your car as you're driving three implications three truths that emerge out of what Paul has just said to us about the love of God. And the first is this. This reminds us, this passage does, that God has bound himself to you in love. God has bound himself to you in love. That God is fully committed to your well-being. That is love. And there's nothing you can do to stop the flow of God's love from coming your way. This is the scandal of Christianity. There's nothing you can do to stop the flow of God's love from coming your way. Nothing at all. We often think God's love comes to those who have been good. God's love comes to those who pray a lot. God's love comes to those who volunteer. God's love comes to those who are just always nice. But for everybody else, God's love is not coming. But what Paul reminds us is that God's love is always coming our way. Now, the question is, are you receiving it? The question is, are you embracing it? Which is why repentance is such a beautiful word. Repentance is essentially turning around to receive the wave of God's love that's always coming to me. We often think repentance is about stop those dirty things that you're doing and stop the bad attitude and stop and stop and stop and stop. And certainly repentance has something to do with stopping, but it usually ends right there. Repentance is turning around to be washed in the love of God and in the grace of God that is ever coming our way. God has bound himself to you in love. The second thing is really important to hear is that Our feelings don't have the final say on God's love. Can we ever feel separated from God's love? Absolutely. But are we ever separated from God's love? Not at all. Does God ever stop loving us, caring for us, looking to sustain us? God does not. And Paul reminds us that our feelings don't have the final say on God's love. Now, in our congregation, we talk a lot about feelings, don't we? A lot about feelings. And feelings are important to the spiritual life. It's important to integrate them in worship to God, to to be mindful of our grief, to be mindful of our anxiety, to be mindful of our sadness and anger and all the rest. We talk about it and we highlight it at New Life. But with this particular truth, I need to tell you something. Do not trust your feelings. When it comes to the love of God, do not trust your feelings. Because there are times where you feel loved and there are times where you don't. And it's often the case that when we don't feel that we're loved, we start trying to make things right on our own. I'm going to go to two services this Sunday because I messed up this past week. (laughs) I'm going to give extra money this past week because I need to make up for my sins. I need to, you know, give out money to people and help as much as I can so that God will love me. No, God's love is steadfast. And our feelings don't have the final say on God's love. The final say has already been demonstrated in Jesus Christ. And we trust in his love and in his death and in his resurrection. That's what secures God's love for us. But here's the third thing that I want you to hold on to. And this is a great way to end this sermon and a great way to end this series. The third truth I want you to hold on to is that God binds himself to us, not because of our love, but because of his love. And we see lots of overlap in these three things here. God binds himself to us, not because of our love, but because of his love. Our confidence is not in our love for God. Our confidence is in God's love for us. I want to close with a scenario that I heard from a well-known preacher named Alistair Begg. He asks a well-known, important Christian question. He asks, if you were to die tonight and you were getting entry into heaven, what would you say? And he said that if you answer that question or I answer that question in the first person, we've immediately gone wrong. If the answer is in the first person, because I, why should you be let in? Because I, because I believed, because I prayed, because I went to church, because I do good things, because I come from a Christian family. If that is the rationale that we are giving for entry into heaven, we've already gone wrong. Because the correct answer is not in the first person. The correct answer is in the third person. Because he. Because he forgives. Because he saves. Because he justifies. Because he rescues. And so this pastor began to imagine the thief on the cross. And you know the story of the thief on the cross who Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Could you imagine the conversation that the thief on the cross had with the angel at the gate? That this man gets to the gate and the angel recognizes him. He knows his story. He knows all the stuff that he's been doing. And the angel looks at him puzzled. And says, you never went to church. You never got baptized. You never been to a Bible study. And you made it.
1: You're here.
0: How'd you get here? And the man says, I don't know. And the angel says, what do you mean you don't know? I don't know. And the angel's puzzled at this point, I, how did he get here? What's, and, and so the, the, the angel calls a supervisor angel, I gotta be, give me a second, and he, has to call a, and, and he calls the supervisor, and the supervisor angel comes to the gate and says, what's going on? He goes, this, this, he's here, but, but, but I don't know how he got here, and the, the supervisor angel says, well, that's all right, no need to worry here, I got a couple of questions for you. Do you know the doctrine of justification by faith? guy said, never heard of it. <laughs> Can you list all the books in the Bible? The guy said, I never owned the Bible. And the angel says, very puzzling, on what basis are you here? And the guy responds, all I know is that the man in the middle cross said I could come. That's all I know. The man on the middle cross said, I could come. Our confidence is not in our love for God. Our confidence is in God's love for us. What then can separate us from the love of God? It's one word, nothing. Let's pray together. Every single week, some of us come in here wondering, does God love me? Trying to make a relationship right with God on our own terms. And we fail every week, every month, every year. God's love is not contingent upon your love for God, God's love is perfect. It keeps coming. The question is, are you living a life in a posture to receive it? That's what coming to Jesus Christ is. When you come to Jesus Christ, you're opening your heart to receive the love that's always coming to you. It's you simply turning around and allowing yourself to be caught by the love of God. This is why we pray. We don't pray to curry the favor of God. We pray because God's love is always coming to us and I want to now open myself to it. We repent because I want to to open myself up to the love of God. For some of you today, you wonder, does God care for me? You might not be able to see it, but the word of the Lord is God's Love is with you, and God will sustain you. Lord, we thank you for your love. And this news sometimes feels too good to be true, but it is true that your son Jesus dies on a cross and resurrects on the third day and shows us what the love of God is like. May we step into that love And receive it and offer it to the world around us. We sing to you now words of praise, words of gratitude. It's in Christ's name we pray and everyone said amen. Let's all stand let's sing together.
1: Same, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me.
0: Amen. God has bound himself to you in love. Your feelings do not determine whether God's love you or not. And our love for God, God's love for us is not based on our love for Him. It's based on just God's love being perfect. And may we rest in that truth this week. As we close our service, uh, I want to invite our prayer team to come forward and we are, this is the first week we're receiving our, having our prayer team back here, which is a wonderful thing. So our prayer team will just be in the front here and Maybe you came in here today and you just need someone to pray for you. Your heart is heavy. You're wondering if you can trust in this. You just need someone to maybe place their hands on your shoulders and speak these words over you and remind you that God is with you. So at the end of the service here, after I bless you, feel free to come up and receive prayer. In addition to that, Pastor Jackie's going to be leading a sermon discussion time online. For those of you watching online, feel free to click that link. And she'll be facilitating just a discussion time for about 30 minutes. It's a great way to connect with others. And so feel, feel free to take advantage uh, of that offering. And then lastly here, uh, I'm going to be uh, downstairs and some of our pastors will be downstairs. If I've never met you before, if I haven't seen you in a long time, just say hello. I'd love to get your name. Uh, and just connect with you before you head out. For those of you watching online, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Those of you in this room, maybe you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. Uh, We want to serve you along those lines if you're sensing God tugging your heart. If you're saying, yeah, I've been living my life going my own way, and I want to repent today. I want to turn around and receive the love that's always coming my way. I want to position myself to receive that love. And if you want to do that, you feel like, I want to trust in Jesus, there's a number on our screen, number on your screen as well, that you can just text yes to Jesus. And one of our pastors would love to follow up with you. And maybe you just want someone to pray for you right now. Our prayer team is right here. and We would love to pray for you if you're sensing God calling you in this way. As we close our service, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. We walk out of this gathering with our hands in this posture because it's a posture of receiving. We receive God's love out of which we offer it to the world. The world is often marked by a clenched fist. But for the follower of Jesus, may we open up our hands to receive all that God has for us and in turn offer it to the world around us. With your hands stretched out to heaven, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this gathering, out of this online experience in the power of the Holy Spirit, knowing that nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May you receive that truth and may you offer it to the world around you. I bless you all and the strong in the beautiful, in the loving name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Grace and peace to you all.